Well, I'm glad you can join us online today as we do our church services online. Just so you know, we are not closing down the church. The church is not closed down, but we're just doing church differently. As you saw in my email that I sent out to everyone, it's on Facebook also and on our webpage. We're just doing things differently. We're not going to have large gatherings. So instead, we're to meet together like this. And as you saw in my email, nothing can stop the church from doing what the church is about and getting the gospel out. So we're just doing things differently, and I'm excited about this. And I encourage you, if you missed last week's message, which is going to be this week's message, I postponed what we're going to share today that I was going to share last week to do a different message. And if you haven't seen that, please go online and check that out. It's a very important message that I think we as Christians need to have in our understanding as we live through this unique time. And as you know, I talked about this is a time that we need to, as I've noticed people loading up, and I went to the store just loading up on stuff. We as Christians truly need to load up on love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, or self-control. And then not only just load up on the goodness of God, don't hoard it, but give it out. And that's what we'll be doing throughout these next couple of weeks through our own people, our church, those who call Maranatha their home, but also our community. I'm excited about those things. Also today, what we're doing is you're joining me in my office. This is my office, or as some of the little kids say, the library, because I have a lot of books here I love to read. We're doing this pre-recorded. So this way, you can pause at any time. If something comes up, you want to go get your coffee, warm it up, you can pause it, go do that. We're not doing this message live stream. In the future, we'll probably do one live stream just to see what that's like and see what works best for our congregants who are at home. There are some people who are unable to get on Facebook or do Internet stuff, so we're going to be making this into a DVD and, and mailing that out so people have access to that. So this way, it's on video. Pause when you need to. In fact, I encourage you, Everyone go get a Bible right now, because as you know, we get into the Word of God. This is our time in our worship services that we get into the Word of God. So go get Bibles, everyone. Pause this if you need to. Go get a Bible at this time. If you would join me in prayer, we always pray before we get into the Word of God. It's important to have the Spirit of God guide us as we go through Scripture, as He shapes us by His Word, encourages us, and equips us to do His good work. So join me in prayer. Father God, we live in this time that's very unique and different. But Lord, you are still on your throne. The Lord is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Lord, we turn to you as a refuge, and we thank you that we have access like this to do church together as a family as we're sitting at homes or in groups of people as we study the word of god i pray that you guide us this morning as we do this as we think through scripture we're going to go through some kind of deep issues dealing with the suffering of christ theologically and i pray that you guide us and help us understand these great things and this i pray in jesus name amen so to begin with i want to say there's a couple things that you really don't need to get right you can still do them, and things will work out okay. Let me give you a couple examples. For instance, recently, in the last couple of years, I noticed that my kids, not all of them, but some of my kids will have two different colored socks on. One will be a striped orange one, and the other one will be green with dots on. One will be on one foot, and the other one will be on the other foot. And I'll be kind of confused, thinking, 
you should put the same pair of socks on your feet at that time. But you know what? It's okay. Even if you don't get it right, the color's right or whatever, they love mixed matching socks and stuff like that. If you don't get it right, that's okay. As my mom would tell me when I was a little boy, at least you're wearing socks. Another example. Some people sometimes drink skim milk. I don't understand that. I'm the kind of guy that wants the gallon of milk that's got the red cap, whole milk. As long as you're drinking milk, we're Wisconsinites. Drink as much milk as you can. It's great stuff. If you drink skim milk, you might get a little wrong. At least you're drinking milk. Or another thing. Some of you kids are at home now because of schools being out, and you're making macaroni and cheese. If you add a little bit too much butter, which I usually do on purpose, but if you add a little bit too much butter to your macaroni and cheese, it's okay. It's all going to work out. You may not get it right. It will still be macaroni and cheese. Some things you really don't need to get right. It will all work out in the end. But there are some things you really need to get right or it will not work out at all. For instance, in my vehicles, I need gasoline as the fuel. Please do not put Mountain Dew in there. If you do, it will ruin it completely. You'll not get it right, and I'll have a lot of problems. Or another example. Just a few weeks ago, as I do every year, I go to Cameron Middle School, and I share on mountaineering. They just read a book, Banner in the Sky, and this year I had Mike Judy join me. He's the emergency management director for Barron County. We shared about how to be prepared for emergencies, and I talked about mountaineering and my involvement in mountaineering while I lived out in Washington State. Towards the end of our presentation, we talked about being prepared, getting your goals set, figuring out you know, the strengths of your team if you're doing a mountaineering trip for a couple days. And at the end of that talk, I talked about being prepared and getting your goals. And then I said, what is the main goal of a mountaineering trip? I paused. And almost every kid said, get to the top. Because during this presentation, I was showing pictures of me on mountaintops. I love to be a peak beggar myself. So everyone yelled. I said, what's the main goal of a mountaineering trip? And everyone yelled out, get to the top. And I said, no, that is not the main goal of a mountaineering trip. The main goal of your trip is to get to the bottom, get there safely. I talked about there was a time when I was on a mountaineering trip I wanted to get to the top. I was about 400 yards from getting to the summit of a mountain. But a storm was hitting us. The clouds were in. It was dense. It was dangerous. And I decided at that time, the main goal isn't getting to the top. The main goal was that I get safely to the bottom so I could go back and see my family. So at that time, I had to make a decision. A few hundred yards away from the top, I decided the main goal is to get to the bottom. So I turned around. I didn't get to summit that mountain but I got home safely. In fact, Mount Everest is known for people that their main goal is to get to the top, and when storms come, they die because they didn't focus on the right thing. There are a few things you truly need to get right. When it comes to our understanding of Jesus, we need to get this right and understand it, or we will lose it all. Christ died for our sins. This, we as a church, need to get right. We as people need to get right. Something that was said often during the Reformation and is spoken about now is this. The doctrine of justification by faith alone is the article upon which 
the church stands or falls. We need to get this right. In fact, it's so important that if we don't understand this, if we don't get what we're going to be taught today, we lose it all. We lose Christianity. We lose the church because the doctrine of justification by faith alone is so important. If you don't have that, you don't have the gospel. It answers the great question, what must we do to be saved? And what has been done that we can be saved? So we're going to be looking at that this morning. As you know, we've been going through Christ in the Old Testament. We're doing a two-year series, Christ in the Old Testament. We've been looking at the different books of the Bible, and currently we are now in the book of Psalms. Psalms have been written to speak of many things. They, they speak of how we can learn to walk with God during hard times, how we can praise Him, how we can worship Him, how we can pray and, and express our feelings to Him. And they inspire us. They, they comfort us. In fact, I've seen on social media recently as we have this outbreak of this virus hitting the world, many people are sharing different passages out of the Psalms. And that's very fitting because it helps us work through our lamenting and sorrow and bring praise to Christ. In fact, if you take your Bibles, turn your Bibles, in fact, go to Psalm 42. Take your Bibles and go to Psalm 42. In the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms has 150 chapters. And in this book, we have five different books. In fact, if you look at Psalm 42, most of your Bibles will say book two. So in the book of Psalms, it's divided into five books. They're divided in this way. Book 1 is Psalms 1 through 41. Book 2, Psalm 42 through 72. Book 3, Psalm 73 through 89. Book 4, Psalm 90 through 106. And book 5, Psalm 107 through 150. And many of these books have different aspects of what their focus is, which we'll see as we get to Palm Sunday. We'll be looking at one of those sections alone. Many of these psalms have lamenting, which means expressing sorrow and pain. But when they do that, when the writers do that, sometimes it's David, sometimes it's other people, it ends in not just lamenting and sorrow, but somewhere in the psalm, in that chapter, you'll see that it leads to this aspect of hope, and restoration we have seen that many of these passages that we are looking at in Psalms speak of the messiah speak of the savior to come there are a handful of messianic passages throughout the psalms where the people expected this deliverance to come and some of these psalms line up there we have taken time to look as we have in the front of our church normally we've looked at royal passages these psalms speak of this royal messianic one who is to come and be the Savior. There is this aspect of this final vindication, end of the days where this Messiah will come and be this royal king. We've taken three sermons talking about those. Then we've taken time now, we're looking at the suffering aspect of the Messiah. Not only do some of the passages speak of the royalty this king this anointed one we also have many passages that speak of the suffering of this messiah 
Two weeks ago, we went through two passages, Matthew 27 and also Psalm 22, looking at very descriptive parts of the crucifixion of Christ, different elements of that day that he was being led to the cross. He was beaten, he was hurt, he was mocked, he was pierced. We looked at those in that Matthew passage, but then saw how he was using, Jesus was using Psalm 22 as a way to show, show, look, this psalm was about me. When Jesus expressed his anguish on the cross, he aligned it with the words of Psalm 22. And two weeks ago, we learned this. Jesus was momentarily abandoned by God and chose not to be rescued so that believers would never be abandoned. And in doing this, he rescued his people. I mentioned this at the beginning of the sermon that we have a difference between the Catholic and Protestants where the Catholics have a crucifix which showed Jesus still on the cross and Protestants we have a barren cross. I said, you know, and, and there are times when we need to possibly look at the crucifix, realize he suffered, he aligned Psalm 22 with this, but don't stay at the crucifix. Go to the barren cross. This is why Christ is worthy to be praised. Today we're going to take some time and look at some more passages about his suffering and then answer some questions that we truly need to know. Some things you may get wrong, but what we're going to talk about today, we truly need to know. So let's take a look at the humiliation of Christ. In fact, the opening sentence of a book on church history in plain language says this, Christianity is the only major religion to have as its central event the humiliation of its God. The humiliation of Christ is seen as he took on flesh, his birth, he lived and walked this earth, then he suffered, he died and was buried. This is a part of the humiliation of Christ. In fact, Philippians chapter 2, take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. You know what, this is my Ephesians Bible. We went through Ephesians for two and a half years, and that whole section, I used it so much, fell out. So I'm going to have to go to this other Bible here I have in my room. Ephesians chapter 2 is this very unique section we have in Ephesians, or sorry, I said Ephesians, in Philippians, where Philippians chapter 2, we have this kind of the, one of the first songs of the early church. Listen to this out of Philippians chapter 2 relationships with one another have the same mindset as of Christ Jesus who being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or something to be used for his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man he humbled himself becoming obedient to death even death on the cross. Christ who tasted suffering, Christ tasted humiliation and pain and rejection, was like us except for sin. He had no sin. He put his trust and hope in God. He grieved and suffered and prayed. Still he went through this because he knew that God was in control. God is sovereign. 
So let's this morning take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 69. Psalm 69 is what I would personally call kind of the cry of the soul. You have this lamenting, this crying, but then there's this praise, this hope and restoration also found in this. But there's much here where we see. And here David, like we have seen in other passages that we went through when we went through the royal passages, David speaks at a human level. And even though he spoke at a human level, these experiences were real to David, real to him. We also know that these are messianic passages. They are prophetic, speaking at a divine level, speaking also of Christ. This passage has three main connections with Christ in the New Testament. And this passage here is more than what we think of when you get humiliated. I remember when I was a little boy, there was a time where my mom came to get me at school and had dirt on my face. I think I always had dirt on my face, it seemed like, because I played in the dirt all the time. There was a time where my mom came, she spit on her shirt, wiped the dirt off my face, and said, there you go, sweetie. I was with my friends, a bunch of boys. I was probably in third or fourth grade, and I was humiliated. I'm like, Mom, don't use your spit to wipe off my dirt. I kind of like my dirt. And don't call me sweetie in front of my cool boys. I want to be a cool boy, not a sweetie. I was humiliated. When we talk about the humiliation of Christ, we're talking more than just embarrassment like that. This is being, when Christ was humiliated, being treated less than human. Shame and a very strong feeling of embarrassment and public humiliation. So let's go to this and read in Scripture. Psalm 69, verse 4. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause, those who seek to destroy me. We know in John chapter 2, John 15, we know in the gospel that Jesus was rejected by many. He had this where he was had many enemies. They sought to destroy him. And he bore the insults of those who hurled it upon him, not just verbally, but physically. Jesus took this upon himself. In fact, Acts chapter 1, verse 20, John 15, 25, John chapter 2, 17, John 15, I said 25, but also verses 9 and 21. Experiences. The next one, let's jump down to verses 7 through 9. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. From a foreigner in my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children, passion for your house has consumed me, and the insults of those who insult you have fallen upon me. Like a stranger, Jesus was taken on this had taken on this role. John chapter one, verse ten says, He was in the world, and though the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Or if you got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter fifteen. Romans chapter 15. Romans 15.3 quotes this here out of Psalm 69, verse 9. For even Christ did not please himself, but it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. 
in verse 4, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Jesus was rejected by many. Another verse, back to Psalm 69, verse 21. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. We saw this last time we talked about the suffering of Christ in Matthew 27. John 19, 28 through 29. Luke 16, 24. Talk about this. This fulfilled where Jesus refuses to drink the mixture that the soldier gave. In fact, out in Matthew 27, 34, it says this. Therefore, they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. And this was fulfillment of this passage we are reading. We need to know that the suffering of Christ was his way for our deliverance. And the humility of Christ at the cross was an essential step towards the goal of our salvation. It was his great misery and distress, feeling overwhelmed by his enemies, fulfilling what was spoken of in Psalm 69 as a step for our salvation. So the big question now is this. Why did this all happen? Why did Jesus, who was the royal Messiah, the royal anointed one, why did he not just come as that? Why did he come to suffer? Why did he experience all of this? What was the cause of the suffering Messiah? Why did God do this to his son? Or did he? Why did Jesus have to die? When it comes to Jesus, we need to get this down. If we don't, we will lose it all. So there's three things we need to know. And we're going to work through this. Why did this happen? Number one, we must understand sin. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is rebellion against His holy authority that He has. He's on the throne. We are not. And sin must be punished. In fact, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Romans chapter 3. Again, Romans chapter 1, 18 through 320 talk about this important aspect of this wrath of God is against man because they've rejected God's holy standard. But then we have, starting in Romans chapter 3, 21, but now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and prophets testify. Again, all of this is pointing to this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. This we must understand about sin. We've sinned. We're born into sin. Man is not basically good. We're basically bad. We're born into sin. And guess what? The wages of sin is death. There's sin. And we have glorified what should not be glorified. We should have been glorifying God. And we've rejected God. And there's punishment. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, which we'll get to in a moment. 
So why did this happen? Number one, we must understand sin. There's punishment. Why did this happen? Number two, we must understand God. So I've got here, I've mapped this out a little bit for us on a sheet of paper. I pen it out here. And you'll see this in the slides, so we'll get this. Let me work through this with you. If you recall, I, I've mentioned this already two weeks. I mentioned this two weeks ago and then three weeks ago to kind of prepare us for this moment. For us in the Western world, we our main notion of God is kind of twofold. One, God is love. And two, there's peace because of God. Rightfully so. The scripture speaks of that. Again, First John chapter 4. God is love. He truly is that God has brought peace between us and him and us and man. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2. But in the Old Testament, their main notion of God was twofold. A little different than we understand it. They understood God as holy and victorious. And I've talked about that aspect in the last couple sermons where they knew that God was holy, but also they knew he was victorious and someday the victory of God would come. The danger is to think only one of those categories, only that God is love and peace, which he truly is, or that God is only holy and victorious, which he truly is. So all of this I've kind of talked about to lead us up to this point. Here we go. God is holy. Because God is holy, he must act in justice toward our sin. And any human disregard towards his holy righteousness, there's a problem. So number one, God is holy. Number two, from his holiness comes justice. In our country, if you have disregard for human authority, you'll get in trouble. If you decide to go to the police station and say, I'm not going to obey any of the rules, and you do a bunch of things that are wrong that we have labeled as this is what you should do, if you even disobey or harm a police officer, you will get the right discipline appropriate towards you. So from God's holiness must come justice. His holiness and justice needs to be satisfied. Number three, from his justice comes his holy wrath and punishment. Again, God is holy, God is just, and because of that, there must come wrath and punishment. God cannot justify sin without his wrath on the guilty. For this is what his holy righteousness truly demands. Now, the wrath of God isn't the way we think of the wrath like we would imagine maybe the Incredible Hulk, he's out of control. We've seen in the movies where get something to get me mad so I can turn into this green beast and get out of control and destroy buildings. It's not out of control rage or anger. God's wrath is based upon his offense of sin against his holy, righteous standard. We are enemies with God. And God would be just to condemn us forever. Comma. But praise God, he's more than justice. God is just, but he's more than just. We don't stop there. God is just and deals with sin accordingly, but he's more than just. He's grace 
mercy, and love. His love was willing to meet the demands of his justice. God's holy. Out of that comes his justice. Out of that comes his wrath and punishment. But God is also love and grace. From his love and grace comes the sacrifice. God's love was willing to meet the demands of his justice. His justice is here. The wrath is here. But his love was willing to meet the demands of his justice. God demonstrates his love, his holy love, in the giving of the perfect sacrifice, Jesus. And this is very important. God's love cannot overlook his justice as though Jesus really did not get the wrath of God. Again, his love cannot overlook his justice as though Jesus really did not get the wrath of God. There are some who look at this and go, well, God can't be like this cosmic big dad and, and, and bring down this cosmic abusive father to his son. Not at all like that. God must act with holy justice towards people who have sinned according to his holiness, his justice, his love and mercy. The love of God cannot negate his holiness. As though the love of God can go, well, your sin, just let's just kind of pretend it never happened and sweep it under the rug. The love of God cannot sacrifice his justice on the altar of love. The last point. From his sacrifice comes victory and peace. Notice the word victory and notice the word peace there. Those are what I've talked about in the beginning here. Where in the Western world, we think of God as love and peace. In the Old Testament, holy and victory. His justice, his wrath, is poured upon Christ, bringing victory and peace for us. In the suffering and death of Christ, we see the greatest expression and demonstration of his holiness and of his love, bringing about victory, and peace to those who have faith in him. We must understand this or we could lose it all. So again, here, kind of mapped it on a chart. God is holy. He's also love. God is holy. Out of that comes his justice. Out of that comes his punishment because of sin. And out of his love comes the sacrifice. And out of the sacrifice comes victory and peace. These are all connected together. You can't take one out. You can't take out the wrath of God and just say God is love. You can't just have the wrath of God and take out his love. They're all together. So that's what we must know about sin. And secondly, what we must know about God. Now we move to our third point. This is what we must know about Christ. Again, asking the question, why did this happen? Why is there suffering? Why is there the cross? We must understand this about Christ. Before we get to the core part of what I'm going to talk about, let me just talk about this understanding. That's kind of complicated at first, but let's think about it. Christ has two natures. One person with two distinct natures. It's a little confusing at first, but let me just kind of walk through this as we think through this together. Christ has a divine nature, which he possessed from all eternity. 
we were born, we were created, but Christ existed even before things were created. Christ was fully God, not half God, half man. He's fully God. He had this divine nature. In fact, listen to this out of John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's the second person of the Trinity. As to his divine nature, he existed before creation, as I just said. He has the same substance with God and the Father. He raised people from the dead. He walked on water. We know that Jesus was divine. That's an important point. But not only did he have a divine nature, he also had a human nature, which began on earth. Going back to John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Christ also, who was fully God, was also fully man. So as to his human nature, he entered into our world, flesh and blood, sweat, he had tears, his suffering was real, he ate, he slept, he cried, he suffered, he died. But know this, this is important, as John Calvin says, what is said about human about Jesus' humanity cannot automatically be said about his divinity. Let me give you an example. Jesus, he was in a boat with the disciples, says that he took a nap. When Jesus took a nap, he totally took a nap. But the divine part of him didn't check out and take a nap. Jesus, when he was tempted, God cannot be tempted. So there's an aspect of him that wasn't tempted. His temptation was real, but God the Father cannot be tempted. Jesus was the Son of God. He was born. He suffered and died. This doesn't mean that the Godhead was born, that God suffered and died. God, as the man in the person of Jesus Christ, suffered. Jesus died, but God obviously did not die. His divine nature cannot die. So look at this. The second person of the Trinity suffered on the cross. This was the experience of the man in the person of Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, suffered not as God, but as man. His suffering was real. When Jesus, when Christ suffered on the cross, he did so only in his human nature, not as his divine nature. So this asks the question, can God suffer? In his divinity? No. But in his humanity, the incarnation of Jesus, the Son? Yes, absolutely. His suffering was real. He did not suffer in the unchanging divine nature of God. This is how God relates to humanity. In the incarnation, in the person of Jesus, he suffered, and we see that in Hebrews, he suffered to identify with us. The cross truly experiences suffering. Jesus shares in the humiliation with his people. For he is the real, ideal human who makes him also the real, ideal, perfect sacrifice. Which leads us to our next point. And this is the core of our understanding of Christ and his suffering. Christ is our substitute. Again, looking at this chart, because God is holy, because God is love, there's justice. Justice must 
have an appeasement to it. And out of that, there must be punishment. And punishment must really happen. And out of his love and grace, he provided the sacrifice, which is Christ. The wrath of God is real. And Christ is the one. His death, his suffering, was a necessary expression of God's holiness dealing with human sin. In fact, let's go back to this Romans. Romans chapter 3. I read this part up to 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented. So God's the one out of His holiness, out of His justice, out of His wrath, out of His grace and mercy, He's the one that presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. Jesus is the one that took our place. Jesus stands as our substitute. He stands in our place, paying the penalty we deserve. He is the one that got the wrath of God instead of me. I've sinned. I failed against God's holy standard. God in His great and His mercy and love stood in my place and received that. Christ's righteousness is now reckoned or imputed upon me and he gets the wrath that was to be given to me jesus is the one that absorbs that and this satisfies the wrath of god and reconciles sinners to god i love how the author john stott says it this way god himself gave himself to save us from himself Again, not that sin was just forgotten and just kind of like, oh, there's sin, let me just put it on the rug. But sin had to be truly dealt with. That's why there's suffering. Because of sin, because of who God is, because of who Christ is. He is our substitute. He became the sacrifice, the object of God's wrath. As my father-in-law in one of his commentaries wrote this, his sacrificial act atoned for the sin and satisfied the holy wrath of God because it justified the sinner before God. As sinners, we now are free. We receive the righteousness of Christ. And without that, we cannot enter into heaven. Without Christ, we cannot enter into peace with God. Without that, we receive the wrath of God. We must be clothed in his righteousness to enter in to a right relationship. The example I've used before is this. When I was a senior in college, down in the Chicagoland area, I was at Trinity College, the northern part there, we were asked to, the school was asked to send two representatives to this big kind of building we were going to meet at, and every school was going to send two different representatives to meet and talk about how great their schools are and stuff like that. So the school asked, Danny and myself to go. Danny was the, the student body president. I was the vice body president. And we said, all right, we'll go. So we got in his little car, drove down to Chicago. Took us about an hour and a half to get there because we were kind of lost. This is before phones had GPS. We didn't even have phones back then that we traveled with. And I remember just going down to Chicago. Huge place. Big buildings everywhere. We're getting lost. And finally, we found this place. We were late. Saw the name of the building. We quickly parked. Good thing he had a little car. We slid in there, ran up the steps. And I kind of looked at my watch. I was like, okay, we, we, we got one minute 
before this begins. We're running up the steps, and we get there, and there's a gentleman there with a top hat, all dressed fine. And just before we were grabbing for the door, he said, excuse me, where are you going? And I said, listen, we're going to this meeting. We have this meeting with this Christian college's thing. He said, oh, yes, 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 yes. And I reached for the door. He says, no, 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 you can't go in. And then, gratefully, I kind of pulled out on my pocket. I said, listen, this is our invitation. We're able to go. I'm supposed to be here. We have 30 seconds. It starts right now. we got to get there. He says, you can't go in. I looked at Danny and went, well, what's the problem here? He said, do you know what building this is? And I, and I said, well, yeah. Here's the name of the building. Read it off the sheet. And I kind of even stepped back. It was in stone on the, the top of these big pillars and stuff. He said, you, you can't go in here unless you're properly dressed. I looked at my friend Danny, looked at myself, and I kind of looked down and said, I got my best jeans on. What do you mean I'm not dressed right? This is my best clothes. He said, no one enters this building unless they have a sports jacket on. That's one of the rules. You can't enter unless you're properly clothed right. Man, what, what do you mean? He says, boys, step aside. Let me meet you by the side door. So we went around, and here was this door where people were handing in food and stuff for the building. People who had a sports coat on, they could walk in. But if a vendor came by or a supplier came that wasn't dressed like that, they had to hand it to the person. They couldn't go in unless they had a sports coat on. We were amazed. We waited. He came out. He said, I found two jackets in the lost and found. Put these on. My friend Danny put one on. His was black and big and had big pinstripes on it. Kind of looked like Al Capone's old jacket maybe. I had one that just stunk like B.O., but it was our only way to get in. The only way we could gain access into this building is if we were properly clothed. The same is with God. Because He is holy, because of His justice, because His justice demands that there's a punishment, also God is love. Also God is grace. He has provided for us the sacrifice. And now we have the righteousness, not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ is clothed upon us. Now we have access and we have victory and peace with Christ. Let me close with this. As sinners, we respond in faith to Jesus Christ. We need to get this right or we will lose everything. And we are justified. We are declared righteous because of the work and the suffering of Christ. Listen to this out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to receive the suffering and the wrath that we should because of our sin. We find salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We now are clothed in his righteousness. So I encourage you as a family, think about the beauty of the suffering of Christ. Think about the beauty that God in his wrath brought us this great sacrifice expressed in his love. In closing, what I want you to do as a family or as individuals, I want you to go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 
through 10. I'm not going to read it right now. I want you to read it together as a family. I want you to read Romans chapter 5, 6 through 10 as we conclude. Let me pray. And I'm excited that we get to, even though we're not together as a large group, we can still, as families, as individuals, still worship the beauty of what this is. Listen to this. Nothing is going to stop Easter. I was with a group of pastors yesterday, and one pastor said, well, we're going to have to cancel Easter. I was like, we are not canceling Easter. And you'll see what we're going to be doing for Easter. Trust me, it's going to be great. We may have to change some things. This is all preparing our hearts to see the beauty of Easter. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you have declared us righteousness, righteous because of our faith in you. We are not made right because of what we can do, how we can act religious, how many Bible verses we memorize. We are not made declared righteous before you, justified by what we can do, only by what Christ has done. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you suffered. Why did you suffer? Because you're holy and just and loving and good. And you took on flesh, fully God, fully man, and you lived a life of obedience to the cross. And we celebrate your goodness. Help us understand that more as we read this passage out of Romans chapter 5, 6 through 10. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you later.